Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Hey, good evening, everyone. It's Carlos, a.k.a. CJ. Hopefully everyone's having a fantastic evening. I'm very excited to have uh, Jeff Moyer uh, joining us again. Uh, many of you are very familiar with Jeff and his work. I'm going to bring up his campaign uh, page and information so that way you, you can follow along. The link is in the description. So uh, Jeff is, is actually running for candidacy here in Indiana. Uh, he's the Libertarian candidate for Secretary of State. Um, you know, again, I I'm very familiar with his background. Jeff is an entrepreneur. Uh, his career spans in tech, transportation, budget, and finance. Uh, he also serves as a development officer for Students for Liberty, which is one of the largest pro-liberty student organizations uh, which champions free markets, free speech around the world. Uh, many of you know that I've been really advocating here on Rogue and also my platform over at CJ. OMC, Open Mic Cast, just really recommending everyone to get really focused on local elections. Uh, nothing is wrong with following the federal side, seeing what's happening there. But if you want to speak about something that directly impacts yourself, your livelihood, and your families, it's there at the local level. So with that being said, let's bring Jeff on. So Jeff, welcome back and good to see you, sir. Good to see you too, CJ. Thank you for, for having me again tonight. It's good to be with you. Absolutely. Well, I've been following your campaign. Uh, you've been working 20, 22 hours a day. <laughs> As many as we can these into 24 hours. That's right. <laughs> Why don't you bring us up to speed, Jeff, on your campaign and how things are going on the campaign trail? Go for it. Sure. So uh, it's been running good candidates and good campaigns, doing the right things for the right reasons and getting out to shake hands and be present and accountable. One of the reasons why I am running for office is because this is what I expect government to serve me or how I expect government to serve me. I am probably like you in just being sick and tired of sick and tired and being ignored by government, having my phone calls and emails go unanswered, having government make decisions that I don't like and never get held accountable. And somehow people are in office for 20, 30 years or more. And that needs to change. Part of that is getting in the race and showing that we can do things differently. And part of that is getting out into the community and being present, being accountable. If you don't like something that I have to say, come up and tell me. And I want to hear from you. It's about representing all of us, even if we disagree. And I think that part has been lost. Uh, and the other part is just about being accessible. So one of the things I'm really proud of, Carlos, is that on our main piece of campaign literature, we have our phone number, our campaign phone number on there. And that does reach the cell phone that I have in my pocket. So you can call, you can text, you can email, and it may not be me answering you at first, but I will get to it. 
I will get there and you will get a hold of me. And that's part of what the job is. It's just being accessible and accountable in a way that um, I don't see elsewhere. So that message alone has been really refreshing and people have responded to it well. Oh, and, and that's terrific. And I think that will resonate. I think in today's uh, era of, of politics and where we are in, in general, I think there's a, a consensus out there that feels that uh, our legislatures uh, need to be accessible and also, more importantly, listen to what their constituents are are, are stating and uh, they want some representation there. So I've uh, been following your campaign. Um, I, I know that here recently there was a, a scheduled debate and it, it's a very unfortunate, but the uh, Republican uh, Diego Morales, I believe, uh, decided, decided not to participate, uh, stated he had other other commitments. Uh, I firmly believe that something of that important, you you change your schedule around to uh, to be part of that debate and have conversation with your uh, your co-candidates that you're, you're the running against and and allow that uh, the question to happen. So it's unfortunate he couldn't do it. How did it go that evening? How did you how did you walk away from uh, your 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 evening there with the, uh, the the debate? Well, this is the whole point is that you don't have to take my word for it. I'm not hiding anything. In fact, I want you to see it. I want to make it public. So you can watch the entire debate for yourself and you tell me how it went. Um, I've got my opinion, but you should have yours too. So uh, there is a link for it on YouTube. You could go to YouTube and just search for Indiana Secretary of State Debate 2022. It was uh, hosted by the League of Women Voters and WFYI Indianapolis. Um, so I'm not going to evade your question. I'll answer it, but don't take my word for it. Go, go watch it for yourself and see for yourself. I like that kind of transparency. That's why I'm running. Uh, but it's an hour long. And uh, so two out of three candidates, statewide candidates, will be or were participating in the debate. I was there as a libertarian candidate. And my Democrat des opponent, Destiny Wells, uh, was my opponent in the debate. Uh, who was missing was the Republican candidate, Diego Morales. Uh, he may not have actually responded to the requests to participate. So it's not that necessarily he refused, but that he just didn't answer, which in my opinion is even less professional. Uh, if you're not going to show up, at least be man enough to say, I'm not doing it for whatever reason you want to give. But uh, there, was two, there were two of us, and I think you can see areas where we agree, but also you can see a lot of big areas where we disagree. And the value, you know, people ask all the time, who wins, who won the debate, who won the debate? It's not about which candidate won the debate. The winner is always the public, is always the voter, is always my Hoosier neighbor, because you get to see your two or three options side by side. I know when I want to buy something, even if it's big like a car or small like a tomato at the grocery store, I want to be able to hold two of these things together and look at them side by side and be able to get a sense of what they are and how they look uh, compared to each other. And that's the value of a debate. You get to see all of your options, all in the menu, all at once, and see what's better and right for you or more best for you. And the winner of a debate is the voter. Yeah, very, yeah, very well said. Jeff, uh, jumping into it, there was two primary things that I really wanted to discuss with you tonight, um, sure. primarily because they, they, they lie near and dear to my heart. And also just in terms of the disconnect that they're at the federal side of it. And the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, Indiana is one of, I believe, 24 states uh, in the union. Correct? Someone fact check that. I'm probably wrong. It's not 24. That does not have an actual ballot procedure for 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 the states. And that's for uh, ballot uh, initiatives of legislation, legislature to get passed on a people side of it. 
there's it, it's a great advocacy type program, a lot of grassroots movements and really neat things have happened in other states with that. And I wanted to get your thoughts on ballot initiatives in Indiana. What are the process for that and potentially why or why not you think that'd be a good idea for something for Indiana and Hoosiers to have? Got it. So uh, for anyone who has met me in person and gotten a hold of one of my campaign cards, you'll see right in the back of it, it says that I support recall referenda and ballot initiative. So I am very much for this. I think this is one of the things that will truly, truly transform Indiana and will shift the center of power from government, from party politics back to we the people. So let's talk about what direct ballot initiatives are. It's an initiative, like the name implies, and it's an ability for you and me to come together as just regular people. We're neighbors, right? So let's say, Carlos, you and I say that we should have fully legalized marijuana cannabis in Indiana. And based on polling, it suggests that 70%, 70% of all Hoosiers would agree with us. Now, we have a supermajority Republican governor, government that refuses to allow... Uh, legalized cannabis. In fact, we have our Republican governor who just said, no, he wouldn't even pardon people from jails on federal crimes uh, or, or for federal crimes for cannabis, even though the president is saying we're going to do this. So here we have, a, it's a state right, right? It's a state right to be more strict than the federal, but um, is there's a clear disconnect with the rest of the nation. Our surrounding states, Ohio, uh, Michigan, Illinois, have legalized cannabis. And so we, t we see the number of cars in those parking lots where we are losing revenue, we're losing tax dollars, we're losing business to our neighboring states because people find a way to go get cannabis legally there. Of course, it's still illegal to drive over the border. But let's get back to the ballot initiative. So let's say we take this totally broken picture and say, we're going to fix it ourselves. We are not going to depend on government. We are going to get together Carlos, you get a piece of paper, I get a piece of paper, and we start collecting signatures. That's the direct part. So with those signatures, we can get people to sign on and say, I want to see this particular measure as a direct as a direct measure, as a direct option, uh, ballot initiative on the next ballot. So the draft language may, might read like, um, all cannabis should be legal in Indiana. Simple statement, right? So we want that as a ballot measure on our next ballot in the election. And we get enough signatures to make that possible. We take all of our signatures down to the state house. We initiate a legal process that because we have enough validated signatures, it forces that exact language onto the ballot. And then the next election cycle, everybody, all of our Hoosier neighbors get to vote on that measure. So we don't need to lobby our state senators and our state representatives. We don't need to fight outside lobby, like from pharmaceutical companies. We don't need to raise money. We don't need to petition or lobby the governor or influence the governor or win the governorship in order to get things done. We can, have a, we can write laws directly by ourselves. That's the extraordinary power of direct ballot initiative. Well, and you said something that I think is real key, and that's fundamentally is that you know those are people driven type initiatives where you know it's not special interest it's 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 not big business these are things that people individuals are advocating for within their communities and overall you you know you mentioned cannabis and nationally when you look at national polls whether people support any type of either medicinal or recreational the numbers continue to rise i think in essence it was upwards of 60% of people 
support some type of legalization. Now, that's not Indiana specific. I can't remember what the last data poll was in Indiana, but by far the consensus is that, that, that people are looking for it. I, I know people specifically who have, have left the state, you know, uh, you know, relocated uh, because they're, you know, leveraging it. Some of our veterans are leveraging it, utilizing it for medicinal purposes. It's just one of those things that's very unfortunate. And, and you're so, you're so spot, spot on. I, I remember, frankly, when was it? It was maybe two years ago uh, that the governor said, well, even if the, the House and the Senate were to, to pass something, I'm going to veto it. I'm, I'm, I'm not mm -hmm. going to do it. Well, how's that representing and listening to the people of the state? It's, it's clearly not. Jeff, I know you want to you want to follow up on that. So go for it. No. And that's one of those great disconnects is that we have a government that's serving itself and not the people. The people want something. Why is it that we do not have it? Why is it that our government is openly, defiantly working against us, against the will of the people? That needs to be rectified. Direct ballot initiatives are a great way of doing that. Um, we should also point out a couple other things. Sort of the mirror image of that, the, the yin to the yang is recall, where if we have, and, and I, also, I support this as well, same thing uh, in print, in writing, and you'll see my support for it. But the idea is that we can go gather signatures and we don't have to wait two, four, six years for an incumbent to come up for re-election. And they just hope that we forget that we're mad at them. But we can do, go right now. We can take our signatures, go down to the state house and initiate another legal process to pull them out of office right now. And that is the power that creates fear in elected officials because we answer to them or they answer to us rather. And with that, no elected official is ever secure. And we should go back to the founding fathers quote, which says, where government fears the people, there is liberty. That's very telling. And recall referendum and direct ballot initiatives are all very much about transferring power from government, from political parties to the people. So that way the government has to answer to us. Uh, the other piece in there that I want to point out is as a irony. So libertarians look for, for, symmetry. We look for fairness and justness. And so if it's good for me, it should be good for you. If it's good for you, it should be good for me. That's one way to judge whether laws is fair or libertarian in that sense. And we can look at referenda in Indiana. Right now, we can only use referenda in limited applications like for school tax augmentation dollars. If my school, and I live in Carmel, and we had one of these referenda come up a couple years ago, and it happens every time. So we get a certain amount of tax dollars for our schools, but together we can, together we as Carmel can say, we want more taxes to have even better schools. Tax us more, please. And referenda are only used for that additional taxing. Why can't we have referenda to say, actually, I want to pay less taxes, or actually, I want to close down this part of government, or actually, I want government out of this line of business. Right. So referenda are only used to levy more taxes. That's not fair. That's not symmetric. Uh, and that's where they are misapplied. And so I also support referenda for broader use so that way they can be used by the people to control government. Spot on. I had to make sure my mic wasn't mute. I have a bad habit, Jeff, of, of muting it through conversations and forgetting to unmute it. So, but no, spot on. And, you know, if, if you think of some of the fundamental that needs fundamental that needs to change uh, in Indiana, that would be some, some, some good foundation uh, to start with is more representation uh, for the people. Um, and I wanted to, to piggyback off that a little bit, um, if, you know, to pivot away. And that's right now is the massive level that people feel disconnected from the federal government. And across the states, there's national momentum going. And in fact, I believe there's one 
particular person who announced that they may be running for for uh, for governor of of Indiana coming up, and that is what we deem as just the uh, the power of of the states uh, being able to scale back uh, the federal government and different practices. And I wanted to get your your states uh, your thoughts on the convention of states uh, because I think it's something that if you look at the billions of dollars that we're sending you know, to Ukraine, and you take a look at some of the needs of the things that are happening here in the United States, you take a look at some of the uh, overreaching uh, federal side of it. Um, I think we're, we're coming to that point, uh, Jeff, where where people feel more disconnected, the federal government doesn't feel any type of, of uh, any type of, uh, they feel more aligned with corporate and special interests than they do, they do people. And it's just very unfortunate right now, Jeff. So I want to get your thoughts on Convention of States um, from a libertarian side of it, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Sure. So a couple thoughts. First, let's look at some objective numbers, right? Let's look at facts. Crazy thought, right? The Declaration of Independence is a one-pager. It's a one-page document. It was a middle finger to King George to say, mm, we're going it alone. Leave us alone. And then we had our Constitution some years later, and that was really four pages, four thousand, about 4,500 words, four pages. Um, but that was to establish the entire society, the entire federal government. So where are we now? We have a massive administrative government that chooses so much and decides and regulates so much about every little thing in our daily lives. And so that is codified in what's called the CFR, the Code of Federal, federal Regulations. There's a chapter for the DOT, for trucking and transportation. There's a section for the FAA, for aircraft and aviation. And so on and on and on for couches and tortoise shells and whatever else the federal government regulates. And it's a lot. That is nearly a quarter million pages. And it adds every year. In fact, there are different websites where you can track the number of pages that get added to it every year under which president. So we went from one page to four pages to 250,000 pages. And to give you a visual, if you printed that double-sided uh, you know, 12 point New York Times New, Times New Roman font, that would be nearly an entire pallet of pages, like a Walmart size pallet with boxes of 10 reams each on it. It's a lot of paper and nobody can read that. That's just it. Uh, that's just it. The government, the federal government keeps growing and particularly the administrative state. And what's so frustrating about that is they're not accountable to anybody. They're not directly elected. Uh, they write their own rules, right? We, we we now regulate this part of society or this part of our economy, and we are also judge and jury. So one of the interesting cases to go before SCOTUS in the last year was an EPA case because it challenged the EPA's authority to be judge and jury, and it was a major pushback against the growth of the administrative state. Uh, so very exciting to see some of that being pushed back. Let's take a look um, to answer this question, federal versus state rights, from my own debate. And this is one of those big, big differences that you could see about a week ago between me and my Democrat opponent. And she is in favor of inviting the federal government in to run our elections. She openly supports the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which is federal regulation, federal legislation that's pending. It's not regulation yet that will in many ways just federalize our elections. So from the very beginning of our founding, it was very clear that states run their own elections and then just tell the federal government about it. And as a state's right, it is protected and codified in the 10th Amendment. Those rights not given to the states or to the people um, or to the federal government are to the people. So 
here it's very it's a very clear overreach of the federal government. It is a growth in a way they were never intended to grow. We, the states, run our own elections. I am definitely not willing to step on the 10th Amendment and welcome the federal government into running our elections. There are so many numerous challenges and disadvantages of doing that, that it is a frightening task. So, and we can look at how anything's become federalized and the many challenges that come, the limitations, that inaccessibility, Carlos, that you were just talking about. Who do we call? How do we get somebody to answer the phone? How do we get somebody to understand our needs locally in Indiana? And we lose all of that if we federalize our elections in this way. Um, not to mention all kinds of uh, negatives for cybersecurity and um, and security and loss because we have a, a standardized system. Uh, a decentralized system gives us a lot more security as a fact. So we can see the difference um, in how we are approaching the role of federal government in our lives and certainly in our elections. And interesting note, my Democrat opponent counterattacked by saying that I subscribe to the ISL, the independent state legislature theory, uh, which is, and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to change any way that we do elections. No, I'm not trying to change the balance of power between the legislature, the executive branch, the governor, and the secretary of state in how we administer and run elections in Indiana. I'm not changing any of that. Instead, I'm just saying, keep the federal government out, honor our 10th amendment. Let me get this added back in. You know that, and, and it's such a shame because when you when you look at most time where people are going and running for uh, you know you know for Congress for Senate, you hear the same lip service time after time. You know we're going to get term limits passed, uh, Jeff. You know the, this is our year we're going to get term limits done. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna reel in the federal government. We're gonna we're gonna reel back spending and all those things. And it's just you know I I think I told you this the last time we had a conversation, but I'm I'm at the point where I kind of deem myself now politically homeless. Uh, because at one time we used to have a conservative base in our country. We don't we don't have that anymore. There's nothing about fiscal responsibility from from either party. Uh, we used to have an anti-war party in this in the United States. We no longer have an anti-war party. We see the neocons, the neoliberals who sign up for these massive spending bills time and time again uh, for the overreach that that the federal government ha has, whether it's the uh, whether it's the the homeland security, um, all these national things where they they try to issue a, uh, a an emergency type situation to to bring these things forward. And the thing that I think it irritates me the most, uh, Jeff, is when we see people who write rules uh, for others but not for themselves, uh, such as insider trading. Uh, uh, you know, the ability for for representatives to speculate on stock, but it's perfectly perfectly fine for people to go to Washington D.C on a modest salary, $200,000, $250,000, whatever it is. But yet, in five years, they're multimillionaires, Jeff. It, it, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And I, I think our, our founding fathers envisioned the point where we are in history, where there's never been a time where the federal government is more disconnected from the American people. And I think that that's why they looked at the importance of, I believe, Article 5, right? Article 5. And can you touch base on that as far sure. as- Sure, that was your actual do. question. I should probably answer it. That would be the right thing to do. <laughs> so <laughs> let me, and I'm not trying to evade it, but I, I want to kind of lay some of the groundwork as it relates to the Secretary of State's office. So first, I know quite a number of um, career teachers. They are public servants. They work for government. And they also had modest salaries, even more modest than our friends who work in DC. And yet somehow- they can work for 20, 30 years and not retire as millionaires. Why is it? Why is it that only our politicians 
are somehow becoming multimillionaires during their multi-decade tenures in office. And again, that just fails the, the fairness principle. Somehow they get a benefit that none of the other rest of us do. One of my favorite articles in the or lines within our Indiana state constitution, Article 1, Section 23, which just says uh, the General Assembly shall not pass any laws that confer special privileges or effectively opportunities uh, to any class of citizens. And here, I think we could look at our political class as saying, wow, they've got a whole different set of benefits. They get access to healthcare, they get salaries, they get all these things, um, insider information for trading, perhaps, that that's illegal on its own. But they are receiving all these benefits that average people who, by the way, pay for their salaries aren't getting. And that's just unfair. And in the case of our Indiana Constitution, illegal or unconstitutional. Uh, let's talk a moment about being before I even get to uh, Convention of States, let's talk about being politically homeless. And so I want to talk to all of my neighbors here, but Indiana is a particularly red state. We've got lots of Republican voters, lifelong Republican voters, and I count so many among uh, many of them among my friends. And so for you, please know that you haven't left your party. Your principles and values have not changed. What has changed is that your Republican party has left you. They are no longer doing, acting as they say. They are telling you, do as I say, not as I do. And to me, that's just unfair. So if you feel particularly frustrated, if you feel particularly politically homeless, then please know that, one, you could always and should always vote your values. So if there's a candidate outside your party, vote for him or her. Um, but you should also know that a lot of the things, Carlos, that you touched on are things that we work on and care very passionately about in the Libertarian Party. Uh, we're a pro-peace. We do not want war. We are financially responsible and socially welcoming. And let's talk about financially responsible. We saw this, the, the insanity of this come on full display during the U.S. Senate debate. Uh, I guess this was Sunday night, so just a few nights ago. And here we have our incumbent Senator Todd Young, who was six years in the Senate and before that six years in the House. And so he spent 12 years in DC. And during that time, he has spent $11 trillion. That is $11 million million. That's basically a million and a half dollars for every man, woman, and child in Indiana. So if I, if you told me, Carlos, Jeff, you won the lottery, it's a million and a half dollar payout, I would be thrilled. That would change my life. Yep. And Absolutely. so he spent that on behalf of every man, woman, and child in the US. If you look at our national debt, which is now about $30, 31000000000000 trillion, Todd Young has spent nearly one out of three dollars of our debt, which is really contributing to our inflation. So you can look at it another way and say a third of the inflation pain that you're feeling, you can thank Todd Young. But then we have the debate. And this is where the insanity comes in, where the failure of a two-party system comes in. He has the audacity to get on stage and say, I'm here to fight inflation. I'm here to fight for you. So there are only two options. Number one, he has no idea where he has been or what he's been doing the past 12 years. He's dangerously delusional. Or number two, he's lying through his teeth. I don't know which option it is, but I know I won't be voting for him. And so if you feel that kind of frustration, that kind of disconnect, that kind of lack of accountability, then please vote your values, find a candidate who represents you better or run for office yourself as I did. Yep. So Carlos, can I pause there or let, let you say a word and then I'm actually going to get answer your question, which is Article 5. No, I, I think that was uh, perfectly stated that I don't think that anyone should 
feel at this point that there aren't options. And I, I don't want to pivot too far away from the original question, but you know, I, I do think it's important that maybe maybe after we we answer the question of that, that we talk about why the role of Secretary of State is so important within uh, making sure that the the, the voting uh, policies, the voting rules are established, making sure because we've seen in other states where uh, there's a, there's attempts uh, by Secretary of States to rewrite the rules and and mm -hmm. change the number of signatures one has to have or, or participate in debates. And oh, we saw that right here after 2020. We don't have to go far. Yeah. So a lot of things take place, but we'll we'll make that the the, the closing statement in regards to the importance of of your role as Secretary of State, Jeff, uh, but please continue. Sure. So let me answer your actual question about uh, Convention of States in Article 5. So this is a constitutional procedure. It is right there in plain sight in Article 5 of the Constitution. So uh, pull that up on your browser and take a look as we're talking about it. And the idea is that um, the framers of the Constitution saw that there might come a time when we become so massive, so bogged down, so burdened by our own bureaucracy. And one of my favorite quotes is from philosopher Hannah Arendt. And she says, quote, bureaucracy is ruled by no one. I'm going to repeat that. Bureaucracy is ruled by no one. So we have all these agencies, all these administrators, all these bureaucrats, all these people, they are behind desks. You can't vote them out. You can't fire them. You can't challenge them. You can't appeal them. There's no due process. There's no habeas corpus. There's there's none of that. So there's no way of challenging it. And they are there to make the rules. And there's that, that frustrating feeling of, I just want to scream. Who do I take this to? And I think one of the reasons why we've seen the presidency become so important in past years and decades is because if anybody can fix it, it's the president. And so we need somebody at the very top to unmess up the everything beneath him or her. So Article 5 gives us those tools to hold a convention, a convention of states, to say we are going to basically clear off the table and start from scratch within the framework of the Constitution. And uh, there's a group called the Convention of States. Uh, I think it's cos.org or something like that. If you Google it, uh, I'm forgetting what the exact website is right now. But, oh, you've got it up. How convenient. And right there, in fact, we should read the exact language from their website because this is helpful. Uh, there are, by our constitution, we need a certain minimum number of states, I believe it's 26 off the top of my head, uh, in order to initiate a convention of states and basically clean out all the administrative and, and bureaucratic government that we have and get back to the core constitutional functions of our federal government, of our limited federal government, constitutionally constrained federal government. And at this point, I believe we have something like 19 states signed on. So we're really close. In fact, I just got an email from Common Cause, which uh, there are some issues that I agree with with them and some that I don't. Uh, but this was a screaming email saying we have only five states to go and then we have to stop, stop, stop the Convention of States, donate money now. And um, I did not because in this case, I look to see a convention of states and I have, they have a pledge on their website. I have signed it. Uh, that's not a secret. And so within the narrow, the three narrow focuses of the convention of states, um, I do support those. Carlos, would you like to read those for us? Yeah. So again, uh, basically what that would allow is it takes 34 states to call the convention and 38 to ratify any amendments that are proposed. Uh, the convention of states would allow the states to discuss amendments that quote unquote, limit the power and the jurisdiction of the federal government, impose fiscal restraints, and then also place term limits on federal off officials. So 
Um, and if you want to talk about some some things that are missing right now from from Washington D.C., uh, it's the ability to to get things done. It's the ability to to listen to what the states are are the states needs. Um, you know, and versus the the corporations, the the, the foreign dollars that are that are rolled out. Uh, it, you know, it's just kind of crazy when when we're thinking about the amount of deficit that's that's there right now. I think it just surpassed thirty trillion dollars here recently, uh, is what the federal federal deficit uh, just reached. Um, you know, it's just it's ridiculous because we continue to see these these massive spending bills uh, they get signed up for, and then we want to pretend that you know two years later, four years later, that we're gonna we're gonna shift you know uh, to to a, a Republican guard and things are gonna change. Well, it it, it doesn't and. You know, it's unfortunate that Biden is, is in charge right now. And he's taking most of the, the blunt force for the massive amount of inflation that's here. But let me tell you something. It, this was a direct result of both parties and, and you know, poor fiscal responsibilities for, for several decades, Jeff. Couldn't agree more. So, number one, I was mistaken on those numbers. Um, I get things wrong, but I always go back to check the facts. And when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. So you can see that it's 34 states are needed for uh, the convention. And the three things there are limited federal government and fiscal limits and uh, term limits. So those are things that are just good common practice and I am not ashamed to support them. Yep. And I'll, uh, I want to close with this because I was, you know, it took a while to understand uh, the role uh, for me, uh, secretary of state, because most people are, are connected with governor, lieutenant governor and so forth. Uh, but the secretary of state plays a very instrumental role, uh, Jeff, within uh, the operating, uh, the way the, the, the things that take place at state level. Can you break that down, the importance of Secretary of State and, and why you've decided, Jeff, to, to run as Libertarian candidate for Secretary of State here in Indiana, please? Sure. So like many of you, I've just been exhausted and frustrated and seeing a dysfunctional system around me. And my background as an entrepreneur, I see a problem. I think about a way that I can solve it and create value in doing it and doing so. So if I see a bunch of people who are thirsty on a hot beach on a summer day, I say, well, I've got a way to get bottles of ice cold water to the beach and I can sell them at a profit and I help them. I create value for them because they get to have ice cold water on the hot beach and I can make profit and take care of my people in fulfilling that. So when I look at the problems that we have in our, of our elections, of our election administration, I see a problem, but I also see value that I can create in solving it. And as Secretary of State, focusing on two, you know, keeping everything else the same, but adding two things, receipts and audits. I want you to have a receipt for your vote so that way you can go home, go online and track it just like a package and know that your vote has been counted. That's inclusive testing. The opposite of that is what we call exclusive testing to prove that people who shouldn't be voting did in fact not vote. And so for that, we needed a complete and independent audit of all 92 counties. And we need to do that before the elections are certified. So that means that the county clerks who are doing a great job, they are overworked and underpaid and under-resourced. They're not going to do this audit. They're not going to grade their own paper. Instead, we're going to have an outside agency like a professional accounting or auditing firm. And there are hundreds of publicly traded companies, million, billion, trillion dollar companies in the case of Apple, let's say, that release regular quarterly financial statements that are audited and SEC or audited for SEC compliance. So this happens and, and transactions that are audited every night that are traded for Wall Street. We have an entire industry that does this right now. We choose not to do that with our elections. However, I'm running for Secretary of State because I choose to apply what we learn from business to our elections. Because at the end of the day, 
when we count our votes the way we count our cash, we're going to finally get the elections that we deserve. One more point. I have at least one opponent who says that we don't need to have audits, who says that we don't need to do these things or <clears throat> we should focus on a number of other issues. Let me say this. <coughs> I'm so emotional about it. I choked up. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. You're passionate about it, Jeff. That's <laughs> awesome. You should be. <laughs> Integrity never <clears throat> Integrity never needs to hide. Nope. So Absolutely. whatever you're doing, <clears throat> Whyever you're doing it, integrity never needs to hide. So I ask you as a voter, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a listener tonight, ask yourself if somebody is trying to hide something from you, hide your vote, hide your receipt, hide your transaction, hide your relationship. Why is it that they're doing that? If they had integrity, integrity never needs to hide. And my focus in this office is to put all that out in the open, to be forthcomingly transparent because integrity never needs to hide. Yeah. Very, very well said. Uh, Jeff, do me a favor, uh, share with our listeners how people can learn more about your campaign, uh, your, your website, your Facebook page, please uh, plug those if you would, please. Sure. Well, you've got it up here. So thank you for that. Uh, the best place to get started is moreforindiana.com. That's M A U R E R for F O R Indiana.com. And from there, as you can see in the upper right, there's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we've got some TikTok videos out there as well. Quote of the day, inspiration about elections and voting and what that means. So uh, there's a lot of content out there. You can see not only where I've been, but even more importantly, where I'm going. So we have an events page, and I know we've got a couple more events. I'll be in Johnson County uh, this weekend uh, at the Johnson County Fall Festival. That's on Saturday. And then Sunday at the Du Bois County uh, Festival in Jasper. So there's a lot that's happening in the calendar. Please come out, shake hands, say hello. Tell me you agree. Tell me you disagree. But either way, I do want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. I need to learn from you and I need to represent you. So please come say hi and help me be better for you. Absolutely. Jeff, want to wish you, thank you so much for a great interview tonight. Want to wish you the best of luck. Um, maybe we should do this again. It's hard to believe that election is just so close. My, my goodness. It's, it's a, uh, it's a quickly approaching, but thank you once again uh, for being here. Uh, best of luck to you. And uh, we'll probably see you out on the campaign trail. Please do. And uh, let's definitely follow up again after the election day. And uh, we can have a debrief about what went well, what went wrong and where we go from here. That'd be awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you everyone who's listening. Yep. Thanks. All right. There you go, everyone. I want to thank Jeff again for a terrific interview again. Uh, I think the power lies within the community. Um, so, you know, again, we've been talking about that here at Rogue for for this, gosh, for at least the past couple of years, uh, just seeing everything that's taking place on the federal side. And there is no better way of doing that than paying attention to your local elections, uh, your school board, your city council, your secretary of state, your governor. It's just so important to do that uh, right now. Um, also want to thank all of the, the people that are tuning in, the live chat. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Do me a favor. Uh, before you, uh, you know, uh, leave, jump over to roguenews.com, bookmark, subscribe, uh, great content that's there. And then also for my YouTube page, which is CJ Open Mic Cast. Um, so everyone enjoy your evening. Take care, be safe, and God bless.